Hello and welcome to the Change in Education podcast. As the UK's largest education business partnership, the Change in Education group delivers the best in-class work experience and careers management services. Why not find out more? Check out our website, changingeducation.co.uk and send us an email, info at changingeducation.co.uk. Hello and welcome, my name is Amos Madra, your host, and this week, company directors and co-founders, Matthew Hodgkinson and Stephen Hatney, discuss alternative provisions. Hello and a very warm welcome. My name is Amos. I'm joined by company directors and co-founders, Matthew Hodgkinson and Stephen Hackney. And this week, our focus is going to be on alternative provision, what it is, what it means. We're going to absolutely dissect it and find out what this thing actually is. Steve, can I start with you? Good morning to you. Thank you uh, for joining us as always. Uh, What is alternative provision? Good morning, Amos. Good morning, Matthew. Yeah, so uh, we chose the, this week's topic because we 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 are all aware of the uh, core curriculum. Obviously, we have students who are on a trajectory of uh, a core curriculum, which is obviously maths, English, science, and then obviously their uh, their options. And then we have uh, the alternative curriculum, which is is there to support students who are struggling with that core curriculum. Uh, to enable them to do uh, other activities, other qualifications that will uh, enhance their uh, skill sets, their knowledge, uh, improve their CV uh, with their transition either to further education and employment. In the old school, we used to say, you know, with respect, stopping them being neat, not in employment, education or training as part of their destination. So. The alternative curriculum there is to support the core curriculum to those students whereby, uh, and probably will come on to this, it's controversial, you know, where a classroom setting is not the best place for them. And we're sure there'll be some arguments that, you know, we all have to go through it. It's just the way it is tough, you know, you know, education's education. But uh, as we look at the alternative curriculum, it's probably more individualized to the student based on their health, social and educational needs and obviously it'll help support them with those areas but also obviously make sure that they have the best chance they have when they uh, leave the educational system thank you for explaining that steve matthew good morning to you um are alternative provisions the same as people referral units is it the same thing i, I guess it depends who you ask hey moss uh, me, yeah, not really. No, I think sometimes people referral units are used as a, uh, uh, you know, it might be controversial, but sometimes used as a, for want of a better term, a, uh, uh, a last resort for, uh, for students. And, and I think students see it as that as well. And sometimes teachers see it as that. Also, the curriculum is more of a strategic approach. And I think it should be managed earlier and put in place earlier. We have plenty of data from the Ronnie reports all the way through uh, a young person's uh, career up to the point where they should be accessing alternative uh, provision. And we've seen my days as a school teacher, seeing alternative provision being used as a knee jerk reaction. Now we know what a student's learning style is from a very early age. And if we can align the curriculum with their learning styles earlier, then there would have probably be a need for 
a people referral unit to be used in the way they are used. Uh, I don't think a young person should go directly from a school to a, a, a people referral unit. I think that that young person should have been accessing a curriculum in line with their hobbies and interests much earlier to uh, to avoid any kind of knee-jerk reaction uh, of such. Uh, as I said, there's plenty of data that, uh, that the UK schooling system can use all the way through from year one to year nine, which is generally when alternative curriculum pathways come into force. Uh, but I know there's a lot of providers out there and a lot of people in education, school teachers, that would like to see alternative pathways becoming available at the end of primary school. Because at that point, you can generally see what path the young person is on. And I think if we were to do something at that point in their in their schooling, then we might not have the fallout, and we might not uh, we might not see that these proofs, these pupil referral units being bombarded and, and put under the strain that they currently are being put under. Yeah, and you can absolutely see the value in them because they're very bespoke to help the student, and it's not your classical classroom settings as Steve uh, put. Um, explained uh, uh, to us. Um, of course, there's a cost to all of that, um, and I'm sure you know it's not that skills don't want to pay it. Maybe they might argue that they just don't have the uh, money for it. Uh, so it's not something that's always referred. Um, Steve, talk to us in terms of the settings. You know, we know it can be on a farm. It could be uh, absolutely anywhere. Can you tell tell us how? the whole uh, thing works. So obviously we, we're talking about uh, work-based learning as a, an alternative program, alternative curriculum as a strategy. There's obviously lots of other alternative curriculums that are available uh, to young people that don't use a work-based learning element. And obviously that would be either support from different organizations um, where the student would go and have uh, sessions with uh, teamwork, adventure sports, you know, you, you can eat and, and, and really uh, go to organizations to build skill sets and have, you know, work-based learning is obviously one part of, of, of that strategy uh, that can be used. So for us as a company, traditionally, if a student is struggling with the core curriculum and they have ambitions to be uh, traditionally somebody in trade, generally, uh, or a young person who wants to, you know, follow a career in, you know, hairdressing, childcare is traditionally uh, somebody who's not as motivated, perhaps in some of the option subjects. I'm not saying if that's right or wrong, but it, you know it is what it is. So, you know, we we can fight against that if we want and try and force them to stay in this classroom setting, or we can do something else that will actually benefit them and their skill sets and their you know life skills and social skills. So, we 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 traditionally would uh, obviously do a work placement uh, as long as they are placement ready. Obviously, placement ready uh, that's the key. We obviously used to, we have referrals where we unfortunately are unable to help the student because a work placement is not the correct uh, environment for that young person. So we've got to do it professionally and ethically and pragmatically. And so, you know, work-based learning is one of those strategies. And obviously, only if a student is ready, emotionally, physically, mentally, educationally, and they have got a an idea, perhaps what they want to do as a career progression. So it is for a certain type of student. And uh, that would look, that would generally look like a placement two days a week with an employer, 
of their chosen area and uh, they would then that would be complemented by the core curriculum maths english generally maths and english only and then we would do probably an additional uh, work-based learning program such as the btec work skills to help improve those skill sets so that's our take on a, a work-based learning as an alternative uh, program strategy but as i've said you know alternative curriculum can take many shapes and forms based on the individual student and their needs and that's what it should be based on uh, so that may not include a work placement element yeah uh, thanks for explaining that again steve matthew um, how long did they last for uh, i know it could be weeks months perhaps even years could you tell us how the change in education group uh, provides this service in terms of length yeah we do it for two years Amos generally, you know, we fall into that category of, of years 10 and, and 11 uh, on, on a general rule of thumb. So as Steve said, you know, one, two, three days per week, even for two years, because I think consistency is the key here. Uh, but again, if it was up to me, really, it would be something that would be embedded in the curriculum much earlier than years 10 and 11, because these signs that a young person has shown for their learning hasn't just happened at the end of year nine. When they're choosing their options they've had a vocational uh interest and if only we capture that earlier then we can uh, we can set a, a program in motion but obviously there's lots of programs available you know we have our program and there are other programs available with the great work that other uh, evps and, and companies do and even schools internally you know can try and manage this program uh, internally however from what i've seen and worked in schools it's generally you know, it's, it's not feasible due to workloads and, uh, and, and assessments that uh, external companies do on the young people and in terms of the, uh, the qualification that he sets against these vocational pathways. But there's no, you know, some, there's, there's, there's many providers, not just ourselves. We run something called Project 25. Project 25 is to, we're trying to engage with 25% of the hardest to reach young people in the, uh, in the UK uh, who generally are, you know, in, in some parts of the uk amos you know they're they're, they're labeled as, as a naughty child we don't believe that that's not that's not what we believe you know steve and i were running project 25 back in 2008 these young people weren't naughty they just weren't interested in doing the, the standard curriculum uh as soon as they went to a uh, a farm as we you know we, we spoke about earlier or a, a construction site or you a hair salon or anything that they were interested in doing their character just changed like that. Uh, the feedback that you get from an employer is polar opposite to the feedback you get from a teacher. You know, so you can imagine. I'll paint a scenario. I was I was I was running Project Twenty Five uh, back in in when I was working at a school in South Manchester. Obviously, we hadn't started the Change Education Group. I was just in school as a school teacher, uh, managing a an. an a, a, a work-related learning program and i was trying to tell my colleagues that this child isn't isn't naughty you know you really want to paint a picture of this child being naughty but let me show you this feedback that this child has just got from a mechanics down the road and it was like we're talking about two separate people you know you're really you're telling the parents the parents even that your child doesn't listen in class they're uh you know they're disruptive They've got all sorts of problems and you're trying to take it down the road where you need to get them tested. And I'm saying, well, my opinion of your of your son or daughter is polar opposites. 
their feedback from the mechanics is fantastic. They arrive on time, they're pleasant and polite, and they're showing an interest. Now, listen, this isn't rocket science. This is just, you know, uh, looking at the the signs and, uh, and making sure that we uh, we listen to the young people. Now, yeah, notwithstanding the cost of this, but I think the cost on society, in long, long term, the cost on society far away uh, outweighs a uh, the cost of a few quid a day to be thrown at a, a work related learning program. So uh, for me, it's a no brainer for, for, for our company and our, our, our mission statement. It's a no brainer. Let's get students on the right pathway early to avoid any mistakes later down the line. And our project 25 does that. And I believe that uh, other organizations and schools, uh, uh, you know, agree uh, with that. Uh, it's just, you know, it's, again, it's just, if you can do it, if you can't try and find a way to do it and, and speak to us and we'll help you uh, come up with uh, uh, a strategy to deliver these kind of programs within your school setting. Absolutely. And at least just to understand what the whole program is about and how it can fit with the school settings, as you uh, put there, Matthew. Steve, I'm sure you've heard some uh, remarkable um, stories. You've seen remarkable stories where a child's life's completely turned around, uh, a complete metamorphosis. Could you tell us some of the things that you've seen as a result of the P25 program? Yeah, yeah, just for a day week. It's funny because when we first set the business up, you go to my uh, my dad or my father-in-law and tell him what we're doing, and they just look at you and go, "So you're reinventing the wheel, are you?" And I'm like, what do you mean? I'm the sixties. So what do you mean? Well, you you know you, you've got grammar schools, and you've got secondary technical mod, and 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 then the educated doctors would go to the grammar schools, and your uh, tradespeople would go to the technical grammar schools, uh, to the uh, technical schools, secondary technical schools. So. You step back and go thinking, have we? We're going around in circles, full loop. And so it is different. It is different. However, there has to be some, you know, we should always be moving forward and improving what we're doing year on year. And obviously looking backwards, that system was changed for a reason. But I can understand why my dad initially thought, wait a minute, well, he was right. So you've got a group of students who are academic, they're going to go to grammar schools, and you've got a group of students that want to go into certain trade-based career pathways and they go to it you know the technical school so it's interesting and actually um you know there's some advocates out there that the system should change back to that that we should take more consideration to our students who want to go down a uh, a a different career pathway than an academic career pathway so i want to say that i think you remember last time i didn't coin the phrase but you know we talked about snobberizing certain job career pathways and being realistic towards for every hundred students, there will be some that want to go and work in retail, that want to be a cleaner, that want to go and work in hairdressing. And, and, and it'll be a good debate. I'm sure there'll be far more educated people out there that will, will debate very uh, pragmatically and succinctly that the core curriculum does cater for those students. But I think that me and Matthew would also be able to put a healthy debate that it doesn't always cater for those students and actually doesn't enable them to go on and make a success for their destination. So going back to your original question, you know, we've dealt with hundreds and hundreds of kids over the last 13, going into 14 years. And, uh, you know, there's, there's lots of, uh, there's lots of successes, uh, as long as we got it right at the beginning. So what does that mean is that as Matthew alluded to, 
our program is not a tick box exercise. It's not just an excuse to get the kid out of school so that somebody else can deal with them. You know, we are very, very, very uh, uh, professional at the beginning whereby we make sure the student is placed ready because we don't want to set them up to fail. They've had enough failure, enough distress that they get put onto a program that they're going to find too challenging, too complicated, not interested in it. Then it's another failure in their life. So we were very, very strict at the beginning and making sure the student is placement ready. So going going and looking back at certain students, you know, there's one particular one that stands out that uh, that sticks with me, a young man who, uh, uh, one of the local schools, very violent, uh, not interested in education, attendance, terrible attendance, aggressive, violent. And and this is wrong, by the way. You know, you, you speak to this lad and say, oh yeah, you, you know, you're a big, brave man. Are you kicking off with a history teacher who just wants to teach you history? You don't get a pat on the back from me. So we're, all, we're quite strict as well as a company, you know. You know, at the end of the day, sometimes in life you have to uh, just get on with things that you don't want to do. So we don't, we do promote that. So, you know, and once you get through to a young person and they start maturing um, and you, you get them on a, you get them with this particular person wanting to be a mechanic, we get them on mechanics. It goes from two days a week to three days a week. It, the attendance in school for the two days is now bob on because they're committed to something the mechanics told them that they have to get their maths and english if they want to go on and do a college course so they're getting positive feedback regarding the importance of education from the mechanic it's now he's not worth turning we're not turning our back on our education and uh the young man gets to become very knowledgeable uh from 14 for years 10 11 he becomes extremely desirable and what i mean by is is that when he leaves school at 16 uh, I mean, this particular student got an apprenticeship straight away. You know, the, why would the employer spend two years of their life, you know, you know, support this young person not to keep them? But had he not, I mean, this young person would have got snapped up. And the reason being is he's got three years, two years of employment under his belt as a mechanic. He understands the system. He understands the world of work. First and foremost, by the way, forget about the industry. He now can operate in employment. He can turn up on time, you know. He can follow instructions. He can um, work autonomously. So forget about the industry. This young person now has got employability skills. And then on top of that, he can operate in this, his designated area. So, you know, this particular young person going from not attending school, drug abusing, uh, being violent, being aggressive to turning his life around. And he has to take response. We, all we did is, is, is act as a conduit to that world. He did all the work, not us. You know, we supported him, but ultimately he did all the work. He got his qualifications, completed his apprenticeship, and uh, now works full time on a, on a good salary. Uh, he's actually set his own business up. You know, he's own mechanic now. He's probably on hundred grand a year easily. So you know, you know, this is this this is this is you know, and there's lots of stories like that. You know, so yeah, we we could sit here all day about talking about all the students that have helped themselves all we did was give them the opportunity to do that or the school give them the opportunity that's an incredible story i mean when you hear that matthew i'm sure you've heard loads uh, you know i remember you talking about the young man that you met in manchester who was uh, wayward and uh you know once he went onto this program uh things changed and uh his life uh, turned to a better path do you think 
Matt skills are just scared of allowing these young people to make decisions for themselves mm-hmm. because ultimately they don't want to be in that traditional setting. They know what they want, which is to be in a vocational setting in the world of work. I think I think it's I think it's easy. I think we need we need we need I'm a pioneer. I like to think of myself as a pioneer, you know, do things against the grain. And I think it's easy to follow the rule book, isn't it? You know. Sometimes I think, you know, it's a case of throwing a rule book out of the window and making a uh, a bespoke curriculum for all involved. Uh while Steve was just talking then, I was just reviewing, I was just refreshing myself with the uh, with the Wolf report, Alison Wolf, back in 2011, produced a fantastic report that was kind of our Bible to uh, to, to yeah, sticking in the in, in the uh, in the head teacher's face and saying, "Listen, they're saying it from the top down. You know, the labour market is changing. You know, the skills there's a skills shortage. We need to invest in apprenticeships, traineeships, and get people onto work work related learning courses quicker. You know, this academic." Academic route is not right for everybody, and I think the the, the uh, Alison Wolf in particular, her 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 words were well received because that particular report was cited everywhere that I went across the UK. You know, promoting Project Twenty Five, and I think it's taken a little bit of a dip. Obviously, the last two years, coronavirus hasn't helped. I think it's it's probably put a little bit of a spanner in the works of, of alternative uh, programs in terms of the mechanics of getting them together and young people going off sites. You know, I think really we just need to try even harder because at this moment in time, it is easier to follow the rule book and it's easy to ignore the, the, the advice and guidance of Alison Wolf and continue with students being in school all the time. But now it's more important than ever before to get young people out because uh, you know, if, it's we probably have a, an equal split. Half young people want to be in school doing uh, doing maths, English, and science, and and all the academic subjects. And yeah, obviously, you know, we core subjects. Everybody needs a, uh, a grounding in those subjects. And the, I, I do believe that they should attend school to complete those subjects. But then the other half, fifty, it could be as much as fifty percent. I haven't got the stats, but we don't generally have those stats because we don't ask a young person early enough which pathway you want to go down and uh but it's there's no reason why it wouldn't be 50 50 because half of my friends go to work as a white collar worker and half of them go to work as a blue collar worker so you know i i can only go off that but i, I hope the last couple of years doesn't uh doesn't slow down the use of such a course and uh, those courses are there. There's plenty of providers out there. And I think it's uh, sometimes we need those pioneers. We need the the head teachers and the governors to be looking at their curriculums closely and thinking, have we actually asked the wider stakeholders, is this curriculum at our school within our academy group, is it fit for purpose? Is it taking on board all the advice, not just the academia? And uh, we, Steve and I, and, and every member of our organisation, will always champion that we uh, we interview students at a young age and we listen to what it what it is that they want, and we and we align the curriculum accordingly uh, to ensure that there isn't that fallout or the the overuse of of pupil referral units or knee jerk reactions into year eleven year 12 and 13 that we don't have young people going to university when they should have gone to, to, to complete an apprenticeship. We, uh, we, we have them aligned to 
their skill sets from a much earlier age. And the uh, the Wolf Report in 2011, uh, that's what it was about. These aren't my words. Yeah, that report, I'm sure everybody who listens to this podcast uh, would have read that report because that was the uh, that was the rule book at the time. So uh, yeah, I'm uh, pioneers, Amos people who are not afraid to make decisions and switch things up for the betterment of their young people. Yeah, that's it. Absolutely. You know, it seems schools um, just perhaps want to refer back to their default uh, mindset. You know, they've seen things uh, with the pandemic have not been easy. Uh, they're confused. They don't know what to do. You know, you just go back to your default, don't you? Bring the kids all back in. Let's keep them here until this all washes away. And then we can go back to what things were in the past. But of course, each time you're doing that, the child is getting older and older and older and missing out on the opportunities that could be there. Um, you know, this is such an interesting uh, topic. I think we need to come back to this again. Uh, Matthew, uh, what would you like to leave our audience with in terms of alternative provision? What can they do? What can schools do to try and learn more? We'll keep investing in it. I think now it's more important than ever. You know, we're talking about the coronavirus pandemic, you know, like you just said there, Amos, we cannot allow young people now for the next two years to be sat in lessons that they just do not want to be in and then uh, critiquing their behaviour because we, you're leading them down a pathway that they never, they never intended to go down. They didn't want to go down. Their learning style didn't actually uh, uh, lean itself to this pathway. And then we chastise them and we call them naughty. We say they've got additional learning needs. Well, no, they haven't. They've just got different learning needs, as I have to Steve, as you have to me, Amos. And, you know, we, we can't allow them the pandemic and uh, an extra health and safety measures and risk assessments to, uh, to act as a, uh, a rationale to, to not get involved in alternative curriculum. So... I would, I, my, my closing statement for this particular podcast would be uh, there is no reason to use any excuse to not uh, undertake vocational curriculums within your, within your schooling uh, uh, curriculum. And, uh, you know, just because we are going through a pandemic or hopefully coming out of the end of a pandemic, that let, let the likes of Change Education Group manage the risk. You know, the school really should just be thinking about what is best for the young person and let other people who are who are ably qualified to manage that risk. So uh, for me, nothing's changed. The pand pandemic doesn't impact upon this particular. Uh, we create another, another pandemic, don't we? A lost generation of young people. That's a pandemic in itself. So, yeah, yeah. Ignore the pandemic. Uh, if you have young people in your school that you know clearly should not be on the pathway that you have placed them on ask them the question, get them off that pathway, get them into a pathway that leads to an apprenticeship that has more success stories that Steve and I both there, uh, that we both uh, alluded to and spoken about. And uh, yeah, then then there won't be as much money being thrown at, uh, at knee-jerk interventions. And, it, and with funding and money, if you want something done tomorrow, you want a quick fix, it's always going to cost more. Foresight, uh, getting things done a couple of years in advance, will always be cheaper. Always is. Absolutely. Prevention is better than cure. Uh, <laughs> Steve, what are your closing statements? What's your final words on this? Yeah, so after uh, everything Matt said, uh, I reiterate that 
uh, 10 times over. I just think that, uh, you know, there is, for every 100 students, there is, a, a, unfortunately, you, you can categorize them in, in a type, but then we also have to remember they're individual and uh, not the school doesn't always have the right pathway for that student because obviously each student is individual and i get that it's not specifically possible to cater to each individual need hence why there's a core curriculum however however if the government is truly concerned about the uh, the skills the gap in skills for certain industries then i i generally believe iris you know irrespective of a, a student uh Students' behaviour, which was traditionally one of the markers for a referral to an alternative curriculum, I don't think you really sh we should be using that as a benchmark. It should be the future should be is that if a student wants to progress down an industry that's not academic, that is uh, more trade based, then that we should probably look at expanding the options available to that young person to improve their skill sets earlier rather than waiting until they actually make that transition into FE, uh, where they would probably do a course specific course. So, you know, for me, it uh, traditionally, yes, we would be working with students that have got behavioral uh, health or social issues uh, that inhibit them from, um, from taking part in the core curriculum. Uh, however, I don't see why our solution can't be used for any student that has ambitions to um, follow it, their dream within a certain trade or industry that perhaps the core curriculum doesn't set them up for. Thank you, Steve. Well, there you have it. From Steve, from Matthew, from myself, Amos, this week focusing on alternative provision, alternative curriculum. You can find out more by checking out our website, which is changingeducation.co.uk. You can also reach us via email, info at changingeducation.co.uk. And of course, we've got all uh, past podcasts there as well, which you can also listen to. So from uh, these great gentlemen and from myself, until next mm -hmm. week, thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you.